Hello, and welcome to the inaugural podcast of Too Easy for Children, my original fan fiction, also available on Archive of Our Own for the film There Will Be Blood, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, also written and produced by Paul Thomas Anderson, starring Daniel Day-Lewis as Daniel Plainview. So this is an adult podcast. My story is explicit. However, I invite everyone to try to listen to it, especially if you're a fan of fan fiction or the film. I will give ample warnings at the start of each chapter and before getting to sections of chapters that you might want to skip over if you're a particular breed of listener and no judgment on any listener whatsoever. I am a debauched individual and I've made my peace with it. Without further ado, I'd just like to invite everyone to sit back, relax, and enjoy the story. A man toils in a hole. The hole is very deep and very dirty, and the man has pins and needles instead of limbs. His beard is damp and full of salt. He inhales dust, exhales spite for his father, whose business reticence and green vitality disappointed the ambitious entrepreneur that was both a younger and current Daniel A. Plainview. For his mother, who wasn't handsome enough to be particularly lusted after by any esteemed company of any sex. There's a brother Daniel never got to go swimming with at the local hole, and Daniel wonders whether this human would be worthy of association either. Hole. A man toils in a hole whose air is parcels of rock disintegrating down his throat. Last time he shat, Daniel's stool was black from the dirt he choked in. He'd tripped down the well, you see, and broken his leg. For a minute he thought he'd die from suffocation, but now he swings an axe in coffin-esque dimensions. The same dimensions what could have easily become his coffin before the last shit. A space which could easily become his coffin any fucking moment. Or it could become his means to buy a gold yacht, where from the elite main deck a servant might scatter his ashes into the waves aimed at standard oil rigs. He works with a partner now. The trip down the well that knocked out his breath and crippled him motivated the design of a partner and pulley system that should ameliorate loss prevention. Two men in once cream henleys, clink clinking metal tips, tearing earth to a bowing position. The sky is all blue, no clouds. It smells of life itself when Daniel pushes his face, now clean-shaven for a day's stubble in his characteristic raven handlebar to the parent god of money and welcomes its rays. The sun bathed dinosaurs and other ancient life until it turned that life to oil. And so, with one arm clutching rope above him, Daniel bears his angular jaw and mid-forehead skimming black hair to the great celestial orb, a giant the color of Daniel's cure for an organically but nonsensically punctured self-esteem, and the middle-aged man gasps in rhythm not unlike an alien pump the size of Mars and audible from the commensurate distance. The primordial pump of man's greed actualized breathes over the hills and dales of a dead sea of a gone kingdom of earth, but with his coal-stained hands, Daniel fantasizes the ideal rig like a child draws an ice cream. In the middle of the night, he systematically wakes with a hard-on so painful he weeps soundlessly. Perhaps he lusts for a family, the likes of which even God would envy. 
a wife, a son, clothes horses to emphasize his own severe masculinity, sexuality, and physical appeal. Two bastions of what perfection in almost every regard earns, a wife and son. Fast forward 10 or 11 years and Daniel becomes rather like the Virgin Mary. He bears a son by no woman, a son with none of Daniel in there but what Daniel dotes the boy. As a matter of fact, Daniel gives more of himself to H.W. Plainview than he has to anyone else in the entirety of his stingy, backhanded life. With whores, he even hesitates to come without first pulling out, because a whore doesn't deserve him. Fur-wearing ladies of Saks Fifth don't deserve him. Even the fucking president's wife doesn't deserve him, because he is born by the fury of the fire planet and governed only by the possibility of total isolation from a colorless race. All this somehow rumbles through Daniel's mind as he attempts to convince the irate gathered citizenry of Coyote Hills to let him manipulate them out of the fullest profits of their oil-laden land could yield. Don't mistake me for an amateur driller. Don't get yourself dependent on a contractor. Consecrate with a family enterprise and reap the wealth coming to you. These are some of the caveats and soft lip brushings he dropped like glistening dowries on the Coyote Hills assembly. Eventually they will be wooed, but the yield won't be as impressive as Daniel hopes. Nonetheless, his presentation in a three-piece dark charcoal suit, crisp white-colored shirt, black tie, silver pocket clip, and dark tan Stetson, replete with the less tan ribbon binding, renders him an object to the few winsome women in the audience, an object he doesn't mind being for the moment, because he's learned his persona is best received tempered. Daniel casts his sub-boss, Fletcher, to field the dumber, bolder questions after the overture. His taller, capable henchman at the helm, Daniel lets his eyes rest like a hawk to a perch on a young woman, perhaps too young, in the second row of the mostly seated audience to his left. The girl wears light pink ribbons, which rather clash her curled scarlet hair, and indeed appears to be the only child at the meeting. Although by the ripples in her bodice, she is surely close to fourteen, a legal marrying age. Legal to wed, legal to bed. At first, she doesn't realize Daniel stares. A stranger from a stranger part of the country with a voice like a volcano, both dormant and ejaculate, scans the girl from a sturdy but country platform, like he were hunting for breakfast and this makes the girl fidget her wayfish arms about the waist of her dress in transparent puff and frilled hem sleeves. The whole outfit looks apt to disappear in a gale of, say, zero miles an hour, and when the girl finally meets Daniel's gaze, she seems to appreciate the significance of her insubstantial attire. Quickly, her slender arms go diagonal across her chest, one hand now picking the frill at her loose collar. To her, Daniel must look like a dragon, hardly a sexual prospect, not to inspire screams or thrashings of protest as he drags her to his lair and her demise. Daniel would also agree on his draconian sexuality, but he is not aware of this potential when the girl flashes helpless, terrified, and pointedly hooded green eyes at him. He merely smiles, slightly embarrassed to have been caught looking at her. The ferocity with which the girl refuses to look at him again piques him, she simply stares forward. She might grab her mother's hand to her right, but should her mother reject this, Daniel would be a kind of victor. The girl's adamance has the opposite effect she wants, and Daniel must adjust his seat ever so subtly. Just a prick in his prick, nothing untoward, but when the prey would run, he does thirst. Is that what you plan to do, Mr. Plainview, the scarlet girl's father, 
who'd been standing and bickering nervously with Fletcher about royalties as totally unnoticed by Daniel, suddenly turns his angst to the chief oil man. Promise one-sixth or an eighth or whatever the hell minor return you cite under the guise of an earlier start time, then renege when you don't get what you want out of us. All right, then. Daniel's politician's smile turns awkwardly to a grimace as he stands through a stiff limp, again with the pins and needles, touches H.W. on the blue-shirted shoulder, the Amish-style clothing better soothes the nonsense pathways of townsfolk, and leaves the platform before H.W. fully realizes his cue. To be fair, the boy was daydreaming. This was their second such town hall in a week. Two towns later, Daniel will weather the same suspicions, but on a different court, one rather suited toward his favor. And there will be a new girl, one he actually gets to know profoundly. A girl who rather suits the unofficial synonym Daniel adopted when he adopted H.W. from a fallen subordinate. A girl named Mary. And that's it for chapter one. We are going to veer substantially from the film narrative uh, in the coming chapters, so do hold on for that because it's not going to be the storyline that we are already familiar with. We're going to get into some new stuff, some weird stuff, and I think it'll be fun uh, if you have an open mind, most certainly. Notice some typos in the writing and in the speaking as well, but I'm going to leave those in for now. Grateful you're bearing with me. I should note that our bumper music is from Game of Thrones, Light of the Seven. That was from Season 6, Episode 10, The Trial Scene of Cersei Lannister. The composer is Ramin Javadi, if I'm saying that correctly. And if you enjoy, please leave me feedback. And I've never really had that, so that would be fun for me. Okay. Until next time, Daniel says, Good night. <laughs>